Why would God allow good kids to die? Uh, that was at the heart of a question I got the other day in church. And it was about the story of Job. You ever read that part in the Bible before? It's really weird, to be honest with you. It says that the devil somehow comes up to God and accuses a man named Job. And the devil's accusation is that Job, you know, he seems very faithful and very devout, that he loves and worships God. But maybe, maybe the only reason Job acts that way is because he has a good life. He's married, he has a beautiful family, he's blessed, he has money. And the devil says, God, if you took that all away, would he still love you? Uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but the book of Job is this fascinating account. Do we love God because he's God? Or do we just love God because of the stuff he gives? But this question got more specific. God, in this rather odd story, allows some terrible things to happen in Job's life. He loses his business, he loses his flocks, he loses his health, and the questioner is right, he loses his kids. In a terrible tragedy, all of his children, who don't appear to have done anything wrong, all die. And the question is, how is that fair? Now, my answer to that is this. It is impossible for you or for me to know what's fair or to know what's good. Uh, there's a teenage girl at the first church where I served who had brain cancer. And she had been through a lot of surgeries, a, a lot of chemos, a, a terrible road. And it, it was so hard to understand, what, what's, the, what's the point of this? It's a good family. A good kid. Why would she have to go through this? And I remember speaking to her father saying, I wish it was different, but God sees this whole picture of her story and you and I, we're looking through a straw. You know, we just see the, the cancer and the suffering but we can't see what's going to happen tomorrow or the people that this will affect and, and God sees and God knows, and because of Jesus, we know that God is good and he can be trusted. But you and I just don't know. We don't know what's good. We don't know what's fair. And I'd say the same thing about Job's kids. There's one passage, though, that, that kind of hints that maybe God has a plan we don't know about. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 1 says this. The righteous perish. Catch that? Not the wicked, not the foolish, but the righteous, people who are right with God through faith, they perish and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. You ever take that to heart? Maybe Job's 10 kids who had faith in the God who could save them would have lost their faith. Maybe they would have drifted. Maybe their faith would have been so weak and they would have made such bad decisions, they would have pushed other people away from God. You ever take that to heart? What if God calling someone out of this life and into paradise does not just spare them from evil but actually minimizes the evil that the devil intends? Could that happen? According to this passage, it can. And because of the goodness of God, we know that it must. We know if God is good, if his plans are to prosper us, then even the tragedies, 
even the pain, even the things we don't understand must be part of God's incredible plan. Let me leave you with this story. I heard a story in, in church many years ago about a town whose mine had collapsed and many people were killed. It was a small town, so everyone knew one of the miners who was down in the shaft when the cave crumbled and they ran out of oxygen. And they gathered in front of the crumbled entrance and the pastor got up to speak and what would he say to these people? They died and it didn't seem fair. These people had lost the ones that they loved. How would he make sense of their pain and their suffering? And so the pastor said this. He said, In my home is a beautiful piece of embroidery. And the other day, I took it off the wall and I looked at the backside. And the backside was a mess. It was a tangled mess of different colored strings and knots. It was lumpy over here and patchy over there. It was ugly. But when I turned it around, I saw a message from God's word, beautifully embroidered. And he said to the grieving people, you and I in this life just see the backside of God's plans. We see the stuff that doesn't make sense the knots in life, the strings that seem they're moving in the wrong direction and we want to criticize God because we don't see what God sees. On the other side of the plan is love and there's blessing. There's the deliverance from evil. There's the avoidance of temptation. And so it takes faith to admit, I don't know the whole story. God's good all the time and he's working this for my good too. Run to the cross of Jesus. See a God who loved you enough to suffer that you would be spared from pain and you could overcome death and trust that in all things, God works for the good, the good of those who love him. The other day, I got a really great question from a grade school girl at our church. And it's a question maybe you've wondered about in your life too. The question was, where is heaven? She had heard me talk about heaven as not being here, but I referred to it as there and she asked herself, well, where is there? Where's heaven? I thought that was a good question. So uh, here's my biblical answer. Uh, We know that heaven is there and not here because here isn't a better place. You know, when you look around in this earth, in our solar system, in the universe, we see things that don't make us happy. We see brokenness, we see sin, we see people fighting, we see countries going to war. But when Jesus talked about heaven, he didn't talk about any of that. In fact, do you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross, there was a man next to him who at the very last second confessed his faith in Christ and Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I love that word, paradise. It wasn't like going to Hawaii paradise. It was not here paradise. No brokenness paradise, no weeping paradise, no mourning, no crying, no death, no sickness, no anxiety, no worry. That's what heaven is like. So I was trying to think exactly where is that? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I I can't say where it is, but I can say what heaven is. Uh, Heaven is a place that is so much better by far that the Apostle Paul longed to be there. 
that even though he had amazing friends and a great mission from God, purpose, scriptures that he was inspired to write, it was nothing compared to that moment when he would get to heaven and see the face of his Savior, Jesus. I remember when I was a a freshman in college, uh, I had a a doctrine class to kind of catch people like me up. Uh, I hadn't gone to a Christian school once in my life and we had a brilliant professor and he said this, that if you could get the most powerful rocket and blast off from Earth and you could land at a space station and refuel and blast off from there and land at another space station and refuel again and blast off from there and do that a thousand times, you still wouldn't get to heaven. Because heaven isn't part of this broken universe, it's a whole nother place. And while I couldn't find it on the Google map, I can tell you this, that God has given us the destination. Through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we get to be in a place that is better by far. And we get to spend forever there with our Savior, Jesus. So, to this young girl, all of you who are wondering, where is heaven? It's not here. It's paradise. And we can't wait to get there. So, here's the toughest question I've had to answer in a long time. Can a person lose their salvation? Can someone who's forgiven, saved, adopted into the family of God, like if they took their last breath, boom, they're out of that danger, they're going to be with Jesus. Can a person lose that? Now, I call that a really tough question. Because there are some really great Christians, smart Christians, Bible-loving Christians that I know that have different answers. Some of them say, yes, that can happen. And others say, no, the Bible says that can't happen. Let me start where both of those groups would agree. Both those groups would agree that sin can separate you from God. Both those groups can agree that lots of people can come to church They could read their Bibles, they could pray, they could be baptized and not ever have a real, genuine faith in Jesus. Both groups agree that kids can be raised in a Christian home and then walk away and then not just deny the church but deny Jesus and the Christian faith altogether. Like, we all agree that there's a bunch of people here who seem like they should have faith and yet at the end of their life, they end up over there, not not saved, not with Jesus, not trusting in his love. So back to the question, can a person lose their salvation? When I read my Bible, I get why people give two different answers. Because when I read the Bible straightforward, I kind of get two different answers. There's a whole bunch of passages that I love that would say, no, if you're saved, God's not going to lose you. Uh, Let me rattle off a bunch to you. I think it was John chapter 10. Jesus said, I know my sheep, my flock, and they know me and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. In Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul talks about those that God has predestined and chosen, he called. The same ones he called, he justified and those he justified, he glorified. Like not chose you, called you, justified you, well, then maybe something happened. No, it's like God gets you all the way to the finish line. The book of Philippians has this great comfort. The one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Right? God is faithful. He put faith in your heart and he's going to preserve that faith until you see him face to face. 
or the Apostle Paul's beautiful words, that God put the Holy Spirit in your heart as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Right? God put the deposit in and you might make a deposit and then run out of money and you can't guarantee a payment, but, but he's not you. He's God. And so if you have the Holy Spirit, there's this guarantee that you're going to make it. Right? So can a person lose their salvation? Well, we'd say John 10, Romans 8, the book of Philippians. Well, no, God's going to keep them. But then, there are these other passages. Throughout Paul's letters, when he's speaking to brothers and sisters, he warns them about losing their faith. Was he worried and giving this warning for something that couldn't biblically happen? Or Jesus in the parable of the sower. Do you remember that? The, the farmer sows seeds, that's the word of God. And, you know, some people don't believe it at all. But um, Jesus said this, He said, those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. You know, Jesus didn't say, you know, they kind of look like they believe or they profess to believe, but they really didn't. He straightforwardly says they believe and then they fall away from the belief that they had. Hebrews chapter 6 is a a classic paragraph. Those who have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit and then they fall away as they trample on the grace of God and the message of Jesus. So what, you know, I I get why people who love Jesus in the Bible say no and yes. So what's the answer? Um, I was raised in a church culture that taught me an answer that I've come to appreciate and love. The answer is, Both things are true, but they're meant for different people. You know, I've met people who were baptized and they say they believe in Jesus and yet they seem to be living in sin. They're doing this or that, this and that. I'm concerned and I want to talk to them. They say, it's okay, pastor. I, I pray. I trust that Jesus died for all of my sins. You know, I know that I've been saved. And I want to say to them, but you can lose your salvation. In a time of testing, when this is hard for you and you have to pick up a cross and deny yourself, you could lose it. Don't don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't push him out of your heart. This could happen to you. Don't fall away and lose out on all eternity. That, That is a helpful, biblical, true answer. And, and I've sat at the coffee shop with the teenage girl who's weeping because she's so scared that she's too weak. Her faith is too small. Jesus is going to slip through her fingers. Do I say to that scared girl, well, you know, technically, you could lose your salvation. Hebrews 6, Luke chapter 8, Matthew 13. No. Instead, I say, John 10, Jesus has you. He knows you. No no one is going to snatch you out of Jesus' hand. The Holy Spirit in your heart is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He he called you, he justified you, and he will glorify you. It's like these two teachings work perfectly in the human heart. And they might seem like they can't coexist in our logical mind, but as people who get too comfortable with sin or sin and feel too ashamed of it to think we can't be saved, those two messages hold this beautiful tension that's actually very practical for the human heart. I know it's a lot to take in, a lot to consider. It's really the foundation of the Bible, the law and the gospel, two things that are true that seem contradictory that are perfect for the human heart at the perfect time. 
So can a person lose their salvation? No. Yes. Does baptism save you? Uh, the other day in church, I was talking about the blessings of baptism, reading certain Bible passages, and someone texted me the question. I want to get it word for word. They said, salvation comes through your relationship with Jesus, not through baptism. Correct? And my answer is, <laughs> no and yes, and yes and no, which I probably have to explain. Uh, let me start with an analogy. Uh, let's say you have a smartphone. I would say, how, how does that smartphone have power? How is it not just a really expensive plastic technological brick? Like, what, what saves it from being dead? Is it the power source in the wall, the electricity running into that plug? Or is it the cord that connects the phone to the wall? What keeps the phone alive? You'd say, well, both. <laughs> well, like just having a connector cord, if there was no power source, it, it wouldn't do any good. It'd just be super inconvenient <laughs> as that thing would swing around as you're trying to talk to your friend. But if you had the power source and there was no way to connect it to the device itself, well, that wouldn't do much good either. And I, I think that's what Jesus and baptism and you are like. Um, is Jesus the only way to be saved? Absolutely. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's nothing you could do in church. There's no bath you could take in the Jordan River. There is no ritual you could go through. Spiritually, none of that will save you without Jesus. Acts 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Can you be saved without Jesus? No. Can you be saved without faith in Jesus? No. Can you be saved without a relationship with Jesus? No. He is the only way, the only name that gets you into the presence of God. And, and how do you get connected to Jesus? I've learned that the Bible is very comfortable talking about the things that get us connected to Jesus as instruments or ways or means that God can save us. So in uh, James chapter 1, you give me a second to find that passage really quickly, uh, James is talking about the word of God, not just Jesus, but the word of God. And he says this, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You catch that? Accept the word, which can save you. And you want to object, wait, wait, wait. A book doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. <laughs> and the answer is yes and yes. Right? Jesus is the source of salvation and it's the book, the message that connects us to Jesus. We hear it from our parents or from our pastor, or from a friend, and that's the thing that God uses to connect us to the good news of salvation. And there are a number of passages that make baptism the same thing. First Peter chapter 3 is my favorite on this topic. Uh, Peter was talking about Noah and the ark, and then in verse 21, he says, This water from Noah's day symbolizes baptism 
that now saves you also. You want to say, wait, baptism saves us? Jesus saves us. The cross saves us. The answer is yes. And baptism, just like the word of God, is this promise of sins washed away that connects you to Jesus. And it's so important, Peter says it again, baptism saves you, here's my favorite part, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just some random magical spell. Baptism is connected to the name of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. The blood that he shed, the life that he gave, he's putting his name on you when you are baptized, marking you as his own. He's, He's giving, strengthening the gift of faith so that you get plugged into him and you don't lose it. So let me leave you with two quick application points. Number one, uh, if you're one of those families or you know one of those families that get baptized and then disconnect from Jesus, be careful. All right, if I plugged in my phone to the power source 20 years ago and then unplugged it, I would not be powered up. You, know, you can drift from your faith. You can unplug from that relationship and connection with Jesus and, and how many people, especially in the churches that I grew up with, you know, they got baptized, they got confirmed, and then they lost their relationship with Jesus. There was no connection. So Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Stay connected to Jesus. Number two, celebrate your baptism. If these passages are true, baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus, then really, you shouldn't have a birthday party. You should have a baptism day party. The day that I was born, I was, I was born in sin. I was outside the family of God. Let's have a cake. <laughs> this seems like something to celebrate. But the day I was baptized, when I got plugged into Jesus, when I had this personal connection with him and he washed all of my sins away, when he saved me, gave me a clean cut, that is something that deserves a cake and some candles and some music, and some worship. Can baptism save you? Through Jesus, yes. Repent, be baptized, stay connected, because Jesus is the only name that saves. Uh, Recently, a Christian like many of you asked me a really unique, insightful question. And the question was this, is God not perfect because he doesn't have perfect children? It's kind of an understatement, right? Um, God's children, Adam and Eve, uh, God's children who've been adopted into his family now, Christians, through faith in Jesus, they're obviously not perfect. You and I are obviously not perfect. So does that mean that the father who raised us, taught us, disciplined us, and guided us is not perfect? Well, there's a pretty simple biblical answer to that question. And then there's maybe a more deeper application to that question. So let me start with the simple Bible answer. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So even though God's got some jacked up kids, <laughs> is he a perfect father? Well, Jesus says, yes, he is. And that actually leads me to a really important application. Did you know, according to the Bible, while you and I are responsible to teach people and guide people, those of us who are teachers or pastors, ministry leaders, mothers, fathers, mentors, older brothers, influencers, we have this amazing opportunity from God to raise up the next generation, but we are not responsible for their sin. 
It is not a knock on the character of God that his children are imperfect because God always does the right thing. And I want to apply that especially to those of you who are pastors and parents. You know, if if you're a pastor in a church and you're doing your best to be faithful, you're trying to humbly listen and love, you're trying to be courageous and compassionate, you study the Bible, you pray over it, you, you pray for God's people, and then you find out that your church isn't great. It's far from perfect. It's messy, it's broken, it's sinful, it's just not what you thought it would be. That is not a knock on your ministry. If you're faithful, just like God the Father is faithful, it doesn't make you less imperfect or more responsible. And moms and dads, I need to say that to you too. It's just instinctive when one of your kids makes a bad choice or goes down a bad path to wonder, what did I do wrong? What was my imperfection? What should I have done differently? And those are humble questions to ask, but at the end of the day, the answer might be nothing. Maybe you did pray for your kids. Maybe you did own your mistakes. Maybe you brought them to church. Maybe you prayed for them each day when they were straying. That's not on you any more than the prodigal's father was at fault for his sin. So we obviously pray that the next generation would make good choices and follow Jesus. But for those of us who are responsible, let's do our best, just like our Father in Heaven always does what's best. And let's remember that each person is responsible for their own choices. I hope that helps you sleep at night. I hope that brings you back to the perfection of your Father in Heaven. And I hope that helps you know how to live in this messy and imperfect world. Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoy this podcast but want to go even deeper in your faith, I want to invite you to check out all the great content that we put out here at Time of Grace. Um, The easiest way for you to do that And the way that I personally do that is by signing up for the Time of Grace email. I might be biased, (laughs) but I think the Time of Grace team does a great job putting all into one email, a written devotion, a video devotion, a blog post, podcasting options. It's the way that I love to start my day. And if you want to go deeper with Jesus, it's a great way to start yours too. Just look for the link in the episode notes to sign up and thanks for your support.